You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Well-Fed Women podcast. I'm so happy you're here. This is episode number 349, and I'm your host. My name is Noelle Tarr. My website is coconutsandkettlebells.com, and I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer. This interview is going to blow your mind. It's possible that, like me, you've heard of things in passing, like the gut-brain axis, or copper toxicity, or undermethylation and overmethylation. And you're like, wow, that sounds important. And, and you'd be right. The problem is topics like the relationship between copper and zinc and how that might lead to imbalances and important neurotransmitters in the brain. That's complicated stuff. Luckily, today I get to introduce you all to someone who not only experienced this stuff personally for decades, which means she knows it inside and out, she's also able to explain these topics in a way that we can actually understand them. My goal is always to provide you with information that you can understand, but I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it and paralyzed and be like, what now? I want you to also have actionable steps that you can take so you know what to do with that information, which I think is the most important part. So let's dive in. Before we do, what if... You could put better sleep and stress management and less headaches and less fatigue on your Christmas list this year. I think that's something we'd all love to be able to get from Santa. <laughs> and you can, in a way, with Blue Blocks Computer and Sleep Plus glasses and light bulbs. And as a heads up, Blue Blocks is doing a big Black Friday sale. Check out our link. It's blue, so B-L-U-B-L-O-X dot com forward slash well-fed the week of Thanksgiving to see the site-wide sale. I have some insider information that it's going to be really good, which is why I'm going to be buying some extra light bulbs then. The reason why computer and sleep plus glasses are so important to your health is because blue light completely offsets and suppresses melatonin production, which you need to fall asleep and for sleep quality. And it's a vicious cycle because the less sleep you get, the less melatonin you produce and the less sleep you get. And if you're staring at your screens all day like most of us are, that's where the computer glasses come into play, which I'm wearing right now as I read this to you. <laughs> they block out the harsh light that's emitted from electronic devices, which can cause fatigue and headaches and overstimulation. Now, if you're going to invest in one pair first, I, th I think I would recommend the Sleep Plus glasses. They've made the biggest difference for me personally. So put them on close to after the sun sets when you're winding down at least two hours before bed. If you are looking at your phone or you're watching a show at night, you, you absolutely have to be wearing them. So we have a routine in our household. The overhead lights go off, the red lights in our lamps turn on, and then we have yellow summer glow lights in the kids' rooms so that we can read a story to them, and we put on our glasses. So I highly recommend grabbing a pair. They are evidence-based. If you've worn just orange lenses before, 
and you didn't really feel a difference, there's a reason why. It's because they didn't block out all of the light wavelengths that are shown to suppress melatonin production. So these are evidence-based. Blueblocks.com slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed for 15% off site-wide, and you get free shipping. They can also turn any pair of glasses into custom blue blockers. Again, that's blueblocks.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed. Now let's bring on Samantha. Samantha Gilbert is a nutritional therapy counselor, hope communicator, and life guide. Sammy spent most of her life battling severe depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and body image dysmorphia. Since finding her own path to wholeness through nutritional therapy, she now eats for life and is dedicated to helping others find the same healing path. For over 12 years, she's helped thousands of clients, including couples and children from 23 different countries heal their mind and body through nutritional therapy and lifestyle medicine. She's also the creator of the Eat for Life podcast, a show that investigates the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. Welcome, Samantha. I am so honored to be here, Noelle. Thank you. Yeah. So we have a lot to get to. And as I revealed to you before we jumped on, I am just, this is a, these are complex topics and completely overwhelming. And if somebody, you know, asks me a question about copper toxicity or you know, it's 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 a lot. It's kind of it confusing. And I'm really excited because you not only have personal experience with this, but you help clients on a daily basis with these issues, which means you've seen so many different things. And I know that so many people in my community are going to benefit from what you're going to share with us today. Before we dive into all those questions that we have, uh, you revealed a little bit in your bio about your own personal experience with some really debilitating diseases like depression and obsessive compulsive disorder. So what was the turning point for you where you were like, okay, I'm going to start searching for root causes. And how did you learn that nutrient imbalances and things like copper toxicity could possibly play a part in what you were dealing with? Yeah, that's an excellent question to start. My turning point came when I got to the point where I didn't want to live anymore. And at various periods in my life, Noel, I had been suicidal from the time I was very young, throughout my career as a fashion designer, and then later. Um, but really, that was that was that turning point for me where I was still in the fashion industry. I was working very, very long hours, lots of travel. You know, we go overseas a lot. We visit factories. Um, we go to Europe and go on buying trips. And I was just burnt out. And I had already lived a life of suffering, as you said, with terrible, uh, debilitating depression, anxiety. Um, I had a nasty eating disorder for many, many years that also played into this. And I just got to the end of my rope, honestly. And Mm -hmm. I started digging and I prayed a lot and I kept digging. And I finally figured out, well, I found my my doctors that I currently work with that are also um, uh, people that I partner with. They're they're wonderful. They're my mentors, my partners. Um, They've been with me through this entire journey. So I found them. I got properly tested. We're going to talk about that in, in a bit. But that was really key for me to understand, okay, this is why I've been suffering in this way. This is how I came into this world. Um, it all made sense. All the pieces started to fit together. And that is when I started my journey to health and wellness. And it wasn't easy. 
Healing is never a linear, as I'm sure you know, a linear process. There are many ups and downs, um, but I really believe our greatest weakness is our greatest strength. And I'm just blessed to be able to use what I have been through and what I know to, to help others. Yeah. How did you, something struck me, which is like, I finally found the doctors that were able to help me. And a lot of people go to primary care, doc, you know, whatever, they go to the primary care doctor, or maybe they try something out. They say, okay, Noel keeps saying, you know, functional medicine practitioners are where it's at. And they maybe go find somebody and they don't feel like they're getting the help they need or things are brushed off or testing isn't done and they're confused. How did you find doctors that were became your mentors and you were like, this is it. This is I'm getting help finally. Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, you're an NTP, correct? Yes. Yeah. So in in the newsletter that we get, um, there was an article about Dr. William Walsh and his book, Nutrient Power. And I, it's funny because I had had this specific edition and it was, you know, in a stack of other <laughs> editions. And one day I just pulled it out and I'm reading more about this amazing man. And we, you know, Do Dr. Walsh has been a big part of my life, um, uh, as well as my other doctors, Dr. Mensa and, and Dr. Bowman of Mensa Medical. Um, but I, I read this article on Dr. Walsh's work and his book, Nutrient Power, which I highly recommend. Um, and I got the book, of course, and it changed my life. And that's how I found uh, Mensa Medical and, and my my current doctors. Wow, that's really cool. It's kind of like something landed in your lap, and then yes. you're able to pursue it. Yeah, that yeah, was all. You know, I I really believe that everything happens for a reason, Absolutely. and I believe that things will come to us even if we have suffered terribly throughout our lives, and so many of us have. Um, I do believe that healing is always possible. So, for all of your listeners, I, I want you to hear that. If you're at the end of your rope, if you're really feeling horrible, um, if you're really struggling right now, please know that healing is always possible. I want to give you that encouragement today um, because that did happen for me. Again, it was it was not an easy road, but I am now at a place and I've been doing this for almost 13 years now. And I'm now at a place where I, I really do love the person that I am and um, the life that I've been able to cultivate. Mm. So what is, I just want to start with, like, give us a foundation to build from because we are going to get pretty technical. What What is it exactly is the gut-brain axis and does our gut really impact things like anxiety and depression? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I love I love all your questions. <laughs> so, um, so the gut-brain axis is a bi-directional connection between the gut and the brain. And it's connected via the vagus nerve. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about the vagus nerve, also called the wandering nerve. And when this connection is underdeveloped, we often see anxiety and depression, uh, as well as other conditions like a a OCD, ADHD, hyperactivity, especially in children, um, anger, violent behavior, and autism. Um, so the gut is called the second brain for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's a lot of metabolic and neurotransmitter byproducts that are produced in the gut that affect the brain in a pretty significant way. And then we also have this thing called the enteric nervous system, which is a, a neurological system, and that lines the entire digestive tract. So when it comes to anxiety and depression, 
a couple of things can occur. One is that there is a dysfunction of the development of the neuronal tissue itself. So you're not getting proper signaling back and forth between the gut and the brain. And that can impact mood and behavior. And it can also cause a lot of anxiety. Um, but most of the time, what I see clinically is that it's the wrong types of microbes that begin to inhabit the gut at really high levels. And this is usually due to a poor diet of processed foods that are high in, you know, gluten, refined sugars, and other chemicals that are major drivers of what we call leaky gut. And, you know, we know that good microbes produce really important neurotransmitters such as serotonin, dopamine, GABA, which is our calming neurotransmitter, um, and brain-derived uh, neurotrophic uh, factors. And all of these are produced in the gut and have a profound impact on your ability to be peaceful and, and experience calm. Um, and, and then we have what we call opportunistic and pathogenic microbes. And if they proliferate, they will produce neurotransmitters in the gut that go to the brain that can cause you to have anxiety or a panic disorder. Um, often you'll hear people say, you know, I've got a gut feeling about that. That just doesn't feel right. Or I mm. feel really sick to my stomach, you know, and I'm, I'm having a lot of anxiety. Um, and if we take this a step further, um, you know, there's this connection between a, a adrenaline and the gut microbiome. And what I found, and I've always found really fascinating about this, and this is just goes back to a lot of studies and, and what we continue to learn, um, is that the microbiome, um, what these studies show, I should say, is that when the microbiome, um, uh, when, when epinephrine, which is adrenaline, and norepinephrine, which is noradrenaline, when those uh, increase in the body, your body actually can start proliferating certain pathogenic bacteria. And these pathogenic bacteria, that's, that they basically they sit in your system, they're lying in wait, so to speak, because they're waiting for your system to change in order to start proliferating. Um, and this is one of the ways in which stress can alter your microbial terrain, and it's something I commonly see in children um, and, and adults alike. But then there's also, and this is the other piece that I really want people to understand, because I know we're going to talk about this, Noel. But if we bring copper into the equation, we know that copper lowers dopamine and increases norepinephrine. And copper is a metal, and it can create a lot of problems when it's elevated, such as like a wired and tired feeling, hyperactivity, especially in children, insomnia, you know, microbial imbalances. Um, because copper and zinc together regulate other metals and microbes in the GI tract. Uh, and I really, I have to say here that it's not that copper is bad because I, there's a lot of misinformation out there. It's not that zinc is bad. It's that they need to be in balance with one another. They need to live. I like to say that they need to live in harmony. <laughs> they need to be happily married for the rest of their lives, you know, for your yeah. brain and body to function optimally. Um, so, so that's really that connection there. And if you don't know what norepinephrine is, it's like adrenaline, it's released by the adrenal glands, and it's a regulator of attention and impulsivity. Um, and it's also part of the body's fight and flight, you know, that fight, flight, freeze response. Um, and then most of us know what dopamine is, of course, that's our pleasure satisfaction neurotransmitter. Um, and it, it, it's why a lot of low dopamine people tend to struggle so much with, with addiction. It's also connected to, uh, attention, learning and, and emotional responses. So that's why we see a lot of ADHD and people that are low in dopamine. 
Where where are neuro because you just mentioned a lot of neurotransmitters and things that really impact our mood. Where exactly are neurotransmitters made? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, they're going to be made in your brain and in your gut. So kind of going back to what I was sharing about how the microbial activity impacts neurotransmitter activity. So we've got these two areas, you know, the, the, again, going back to the second brain. So we're going to have a lot of material that's going to be created there that can go up and impact the brain. And then when they're synthesized in the brain, that is going to go, you know, it's bi-directional, right? So that's mm-hmm. going to go down and impact, impact the gut. So fascinating. You know, what's so interesting is that so many people don't make the connection that what's going on in their head actually impacts their body. So yes. if you ask somebody how, you know, what is stress? And they'll say, oh, it's like, Thinking. It's like me feeling. It's just feelings. They don't actually think it's a physiological, physical response, which you just said actually impacts or alters our gut microbiome, which influences our immune system and our mood and all of these things. And so they're so interconnected. You know, we can make these connections like, oh, when I'm super nervous. All of a sudden, I have to go to the bathroom or I get loose stools or whatever. Like we can, you know, my husband even said something to me recently, which was like a week ago. And it was something like, don't look at this. And I misinterpreted what he said. And I thought it was like something I was going to, you know, like a conflict that I was dreading. Um, He was like referencing a conflict, like somebody had texted me something and it, it was I completely misunderstood it. And just that few minutes of misunderstanding, about an hour later, I like had this cramping in my stomach and Mm. I had to go. And I'm like, why am I like having diarrhea right now? Like in the afternoon. And I was like, oh, I felt that that gut feeling because I got really like anxious and I thought somebody had texted me something that they didn't. And I was going to I was already getting really mad in my head. And so we can Mm. we can make that connect right about how our mm-hmm. brain is impacting our gut but when it comes to these mood disorders like anxiety and depression ADHD we don't make the connection we don't think exactly we need to actually look at the gut so you mentioned that there are these pathogenic op- opportunistic bacteria and we do know that gut infections can impact things you know there can be things like SIBO over- overgrowth and I think that a lot of people think mm-hmm. about that stuff when we're talking about you know, like bloating, like the normal GI tract kind of stuff, bloating or IBS. But are there certain bacterial overgrowths that actually correlate to certain mood disorders? Yeah, I, I love this question, too. And and the answer is absolutely. In fact, the research hmm. is clear. Um, there's a couple I want to talk about. So, so yeast overgrowth plays a huge role in mental health and is also a major contributor to, I see it in children a lot. So, so hyperactivity, anxiety, there's that OCD, ADHD again. Of course, there's a biochemistry there that we have to look at, but yeast can absolutely create these types of symptoms. Um, I see yeast a lot in autism and my autistic children that I work with. Um, You know, as adults, I think we have to remember that children have not developed the coping mechanisms that we have. So when a child is overloaded with yeast and opportunistic and or pathogenic bacteria, they're going to either get violent if you take away their sugary processed foods, uh, have a meltdown or or both, usually both. Um, So that's why I feel like I want to say before I go further, parents, please hear me. 
please stop feeding your kids processed foods because they feed yeast and they significantly affect the way your child thinks, feels, and acts. Mm. Um, You know, if it's not in the house, there's no access. And one of the best things you can do is feed your kids whole foods. They also need plenty of good quality animal protein and non-industrialized seed oils for healthy brain and gut function. Um, So I think that that's, that's really important to not dismiss the role that certain Uh, I mean, there are several, obviously, but just yeast in general, yeast overgrowth in general. Most people think of candida, um, but there are several others um, that can impact um, uh, brain function. Another example, I think uh, a a good example um, is Campylobacter, uh, which is um, it's a very common pathogen that comes from food, typically from chicken. And it's one, it's, it's one of the number one foodborne illness pathogens from poultry. Salmonella is the other one. So when, when you get um, uh, a Campylobacter infection in your gut, the onset of panic and anxiety, it, it's usually not sudden because they're sitting there in your gut. They're kind of lying in wait, so to speak. Um, and they're producing neurotransmitters that make you feel panicked. And that's going to go into the enteric nervous system that I mentioned previously. So there's an, you know, another connection there, um, which is going to go up to the brain, and that's going to affect your brain and your response, right? Um, so that's kind of their little mechanism. And they figured out um, a mechanism to make your bowels go loose by making you feel anxious. Um, Clostridium difficile or C. diff can cause a tremendous amount of anxiety, as can H. pylori. And I see elevations frequently of both of these in the stool tests that I run on my clients. Um, one of the reasons why gut infections um, like, like C. diff, um, you know, strep staph, uh, salmonella create diarrhea is because that's one of the ways that the microbes try to clear out the other microbes. So mm-hmm. when you have diarrhea, you know, you're kind of sloughing off, you know, layers of your quota, so to speak. Um, and you're going to lose those microbes and that's going to clear up some real estate. Um, uh, does that make sense? I mean, I hope yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so those are the ones that I, I initially think of. And one thing, again, I want our, your, your listeners to understand is microbes are always competing with other microbes. I mean, it's, it's a very competitive environment. I, I always say this, um, you know, we have a magnificent intelligence in, in our gut. Uh, our gut microbes are very intelligent uh, and very, very intelligent, excuse me. Um, you know, of course, we have different areas in our bodies for, for pockets of microbiomes, you know, the, the, the vaginal canal, the, the mouth. Um, but it's a very intelligent ecosystem. And I want, um, I just, I, I really want to impress that upon people, uh, how important that is. And that's why some of the things that we're going to talk about, diet and so forth, are going to be so, uh, uh, you know, impactful. Okay, so quick heads up. If you are a huge fan of magnesium and magnesium breakthrough like I am, Bioptimizer's Black Friday deals start now. And not only are they giving you a huge discount all month long, so throughout November, they're also giving away over $200 worth in free gifts. This is exclusive to my community and the podcast community so listen up and then also use our link to get those deals you can maybe just mark it down on your calendar to check this month or black friday to go to magbreakthrough.com slash well fed that's where all the the extra deals are going to be this month so if you want to stock up i highly recommend it that's what i'm going to be doing 
If you are feeling stressed out or you haven't been sleeping well lately, you are not alone. I am right there with you. You might not be able to change all the chaos out there, but you can absolutely start supplementing with one of the key nutrients to help improve your sleep quality, as well as over 600 other biochemical reactions in your body. Magnesium Breakthrough is one of the only products I've found that has all the magnesiums that I want in one convenient pill. You'll use less supplements, you'll spend less money, and you'll still get all the top forms of magnesium. There's seven in Magnesium Breakthrough for stress and better sleep. Most magnesium supplements fail because they are synthetic or they're not full spectrum. And when you get all seven critical forms, pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep, pain and inflammation and less stress, which has absolutely been my experience. Right now for the entire month of November, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough, so Bioptimizers, I've interviewed Wade, who is uh, the founder of Bioptimizers. They're having a Black Friday, Cyber Monday blowout sale Magnesium Breakthrough is the product that they're they're doing a big blowout sale on, which is great for me because that's what I we blow through every month. So all month long, you'll get ten percent off with my unique code, plus access, and that code is WellFed10, plus access to over two hundred dollars in free gifts. Like you can sample a lot of the products. They have free gifts, books, and stuff like that for you to choose with your purchase. So this is the best time to stock up and take advantage. I've been really recommending this product for quite some time over the years. Um, I've never seen discounts like this that they have this month, not to mention the all the bonus gifts. And you can sample and try out other supplements, which I think is, is really helpful. I love a good sample. <laughs> I love a good free gift. You can only get this exclusive deal with my link, Mag Breakthrough, so M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed10 to get your discount and all your free gifts. And by the way, if you try something and you don't like it or it doesn't work for you, you can get a full refund for up to one year after you purchase. No questions asked. That's what I love about by optimizers and just reputable companies. They stand behind their product, even if it doesn't work for you or something's wrong and it just it's not a good fit. So don't worry about it. Magbreakthrough.com forward slash well fed. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So I think one of the things that's super frustrating for people, specifically people in my community, is they feel like, okay, well, I'm not eating seed oils. I'm not eating a ton of processed foods, or maybe I'm not feeding my kid a ton of processed foods or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, ha- like, how does this stuff happen? How does, how do, like, our kids, how are our kids and how are we all of a sudden getting this gut inflammation or these overgrowths or these pathogens when we feel like we're doing our best, especially when it comes to like diet? What are maybe some other causes of that? Yeah, another really great question, Noelle. Um, The big one, honestly, I know people don't want to hear this is stress. Stress has a significant impact on the microbiome and it can shift things very, very quickly. Uh, Quick story. I last year moved from California to North Carolina. Um, You know, uh, about actually right, right about a year ago. So right at the, the end of September, very, very chaotic in California at that time with all the fires, everything that was going on, I chose to drive. Um, I had to do it fairly quickly. Um, and it was, 
it, it was a humble reminder, <laughs> uh, I'll say, of the impact that stress has on the body. And I've always prided myself, and this is why I appreciate the question, because I know your listeners will appreciate this as well. Um, you know, we pride ourselves on doing the research, on doing the work, on being very dedicated to buying organic foods, um, you know, to to feeding our, our families well, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yet the stress can overwhelm that at any time. And it took me a while to recover from that move. I mean, I'm fine now, but I had to do some additional work on my gut because I had um, created a lot of inflammation with that stress. Mm. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know we live busy lives. We've got our businesses. We've got our families. Um, You know, this is something that uh, in my work with my own clients, I, I do my very best to walk them through looking at well, what what are things that are really feeding you that are really important that you have to do? What are some things that you can let go of? Where where can you set some boundaries? You know, so many people have a difficult time with boundaries, setting boundaries with others, uh, and saying no to things. Um, I think that's a great place to start. Just sitting down, taking a moment, um, mm-hmm. and and writing out what is serving you and what isn't, and maybe thinking about how that can shift, you know, that stress response for you. Yeah, talk to me about methylation. Not an mm. easy or short <laughs> topic to discuss, oh, yeah. but I want to <laughs> know about methylation and specifically how it might impact our body's ability to like absorb nutrients and nutrient in how does it impact nutrient imbalances? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great, yeah. If I can start with just what is methylation, because I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is another topic, uh, like, like copper toxicity and zinc, uh, imbalances. That's really kind of controversial. And there's unfortunately a lot of, um, just not so great information available. So, so methylation is a chemical reaction that occurs in every cell and tissue in the body, except for red blood cells. Uh, it regulates many substances that are necessary for the body to function. And, you know, our bodies are, you know, again, very intelligent and they possess an on off switch for certain hormones neurotransmitters and enzymes, and also various chemical groups. We call these chemical groups methyl groups. Um, And a methyl group is made up of one carbon atom bonded with three hydrogen atoms. And what's amazing about these methyl groups is that they can drastically alter how you think, feel, and act. So during the methylation process, these methyl groups are added to our DNA. And what they do is they control DNA by binding to a gene and telling it whether or not to express itself. So methyl groups will bind differently to DNA depending on which type of cell it is. For example, um, they'll, they'll bind differently in a skin cell versus a liver cell. And this is one of the ways the liver cell knows it's a liver cell. <laughs> um, they're chemically dormant. So adding them to a protein changes how that protein responds to other substances in the body. And that influences how proteins behave, and that's methylation. So whenever I talk about methylation, I always want to emphasize enzymes, hormones, neurotransmitters, and genes are always proteins. And as a result, they're always affected by methylation. In fact, we need methylation for those things to function optimally. And that's why so much research has gone into understanding methylation, especially its role in cancer and mental health. And, you know, to date, about half the population 
has a methylation imbalance. With the majority being undermethylated, I'll get into what that means in a yes. bit. Um, but I, I want to, you know, again, just just emphasize that a major component of methylation is how it affects what we call gene expression. I know that your listeners have probably heard that. It's it's you know been thrown around a lot, and that just means which genes get turned on and which gets turned off. This can be positive or negative depending on the gene. And it's accomplished by helping the enzymes in our bodies work efficiently. So I like to think of enzymes as light switches for chemical reactions. Uh, and they initiate vital processes in every tissue and cell. Um, and methylation, another amazing thing about methylation that's profoundly influenced by a wide variety of factors. And those range from environmental toxins to poor dietary choices. Uh, abuse is a big one. Emotional stress and illness all of those can turn on deviant genes. But this is really good, right? Because this means we actually have a lot of control over our health. Um, and we have that control by the choices that we make and what we choose to expose ourselves to. So to your question, Noel, about how does methylation impact our body's ability to absorb nutrients? Well, it's, it's, it's huge because it's profoundly um, connected to the body's ability to detox. And of course, that's going to impact absorption and assimilation, right? So, so I like to use analogies. Uh, one, one I throw around a lot is that unbalanced methylation is like driving on I-405 in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, there are tons of blocked exits, accidents that slow and stop traffic, detours and angry drivers. If you've ever had to drive I-405, you know what I mean. So if this happens inside your body, toxins build up and eventually cause cognitive dysregulation and disease. I mentioned cancer. So for example, in normal methylation, the body naturally converts toxic amino acids such as homocysteine, into beneficial ones. And for those of us that are born with a methylation imbalance because we get our methylation status in utero, um, this process becomes gridlocked and it becomes congested just like I-405. And this results in the beneficial amino acids being unable to protect us. So I know that was kind of an earful there, but I wanted to explain what methylation is um, and then, of course, I, I think you also want to talk about under and over, but uh, I do, because honestly, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. So so <laughs> I just what what the heck is under and over methylation? I think I know what under methylation, but I'm not I don't understand over methylation. So what's the difference there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in under methylation, you know, I want to go back. The reason I wanted to give a little history there is because I wanted people to understand that these methyl groups, so let's go back to methyl groups. Methyl groups um, and under methylation, we don't make enough. And again, this is something that's more genetic because we get our methylation status in utero, and then that's triggered by our environment. That's the epigenetics of it. So when we don't make enough methyl groups to attach to hormones, neurotransmitters, and enzymes, guess what? We end up with low dopamine, low serotonin, depression, mm. high anxiety, OCD, ADHD, all those things are under methylation condition. Um, over methylation, of course, is going to be the opposite, too many methyl groups. So that means that there's an excess of dopamine and serotonin. And by the way, that can also create depression and anxiety. I know that seems weird, but when there's over, over stimulation in the brain, 
um, that's often what we see. And these are the individuals that we have to be very, very, very careful with SSRI medications because they're going to increase those levels in the brain. And those are the people that can become extremely suicidal mm. when they take an SSRI medication. So I hope that makes sense. They both are, uh, you know, one is not enough methyl groups, one is too many. And there are certain nutrients that I also would love to explain as well that are going to be protective for one and not so much for the other. So I hope yeah. that makes sense. It does. I think the question or what my mind always goes to is the why behind it. So obviously it's genetic, mm-hmm. but, and I do think that, like you said, lots of people are under methylators and a lot of people are over methylators. But some people are more symptomatic than others. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Well, first of all, how do you figure out if you're an under or over methylator? And then what do you do to, to fix that? Why is it some people are symptomatic while others aren't? Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Excellent questions. Um, so to your first question, Noel, how does someone figure out if they're over or under? Um, it's really it comes down to proper testing. And the only way to determine methylation status um, is with proper testing. But if I may just, you know, allow me this, I, I want to share what, before I share what I use in my clinic, I, I really want to let everyone know that MTHFR um, and other genetic tests have no way of determining methylation status. And I really need to say that mm-hmm. because for years now, we've seen a lot of errors being made in the treatment of methylation imbalances because of misinformation about this test and its popular treatment, methylfolate. Um, so now remember I mentioned that methyl groups control DNA by binding to a gene and telling it whether or not to express itself. So your results may show a positive or negative, but that doesn't mean it's actually expressing itself in your body. Um, methylation status is determined by a tug of war, if you will. Um, and you know we've said this as, as, a, as a team, as a group for a long time now, it's a tug of war between enzymes for undermethylation versus enzymes for overmethylation. So, you know, there might be eight to 10 enzymes over here versus the 12 over here um, as groups. And whoever wins that tug of war determines your methylation status. It's not just one enzyme. And that's what MTHFR is. So you may have a SNP, um, but it doesn't mean that that SNP is causing you any trouble. But people often think, well, this is a genetic test, so it must be fact. It must have some relevance. But I want people to know it does not. Um, And I think there's a lot of mistakes that are being made with the MTHFR test. Um, People don't know it's only 30% expressive, which means 70% not expressive. And I think another misconception people have is that MTHFR is part of the primary pathway of methylation, and it's not. Um, In fact, if you look at the methylation profile test, which is what I use in my clinic, and that's my doctor's data, by the way, it specifically tells you the MTHFR is part of this secondary or what we call backup pathway. Um, and it doesn't play a prominent role in, in mental health either. Um, so I just, I, I really want to impress that upon people. It is a powerful methylating enzyme in a certain part of your system. But again, it's the backup pathway, not the primary. And, um, you know, what happens when you feed a backup pathway? You, you, you basically, your backup is depleted and you plunge. And this is what we see happening all the time in people that are taking uh, what we feel are really high doses of methylfolate. Um, so how we treat 
to your next to the you know the second half you, of your question just yeah, before you jump in can yeah. you explain the what mtgfr actually is it is a snip it's a, it's a snip in an enzyme but what does that enzyme do yeah a lot of people think that i mean it, it's an enzyme it breaks down the amino acid uh, homocysteine um and a lot of people place a lot of um clinical uh a high amount of clinical uh, relevance on this particular one, and that that that's that's the problem with that. Um, I mm-hmm. wish I could um, show you a, a picture of what I'm talking about, so you could get an idea of of how the you know the pathways come together. Um, but but it's. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. It's just been out there so much in the mainstream um, for so long, and I just see so many people being hurt by, you know, again, a lot of misinformation. But I hope that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does. Um, so um, let's get back to um, uh, the second half of your question is is how how do you fix it, right? And of course, I understand that that's what people want to know. Mm-hmm. Um um, I think that, so in undermethylation, we have to be really careful. I mentioned methylated folate, and I wanted to bring that into the conversation because um, methylated folate, as I shared, is, I think, being way overprescribed. So folic acid has gotten a bad rap um, by a lot of people that, you know, that want you to buy these specific products. And I'm not saying they're bad and that they don't have some um, uh, relevance in certain areas. Um, but they all end up doing the same thing, all forms of folic acid, whether it's methylated folate, um, folinic, which is more metabolically active, um, uh, you know, all of those folates in food, they all end up doing the same thing in the end. And what that is, is basically, um, in one area outside the nucleus of the cell and the cytoplasm, they donate some methyl. But unfortunately, inside the nucleus of the cell, which is where our DNA lies and where our instructions are made, it steals 10 times the methyl that it donates. And that's really problematic for someone that is undermethylated because we already don't make enough on our own. So just imagine a substance, whether it's a vegan diet that's really high in natural folates from things like spinach or, you know, a lot of people love to put spinach in their smoothies or Swiss chard or some of these others, um, or they're taking a lot of folic acid that's in a multivitamin or they're supplementing with methylated folate. Over time, that's going to in the end, strip away what we already don't have. So that's, I wanted to preface that first before I talk about, well, how do you fix it? So obviously testing is the first thing. Uh, The second thing is once we know your methylation status, we want to look at things that are going to be what we call methyl donors that are going to bring methyl into the system. If you are under methylated, we want to make sure that we're, we're careful not to overdo, you know, high folate foods, um, and, you know, supplements that contain uh, any form of folic acid. Also, on the flip side, with someone that is over, we need to utilize some form of folic acid as a demethylating agent to basically act as a Pac-Man, if you will, to bring down 
um, that elevated level to bring down that high methyl in the system and, and balance that person out. So for those individuals, overmethylated individuals, they tend to feel so much better and more calm on folic acid. Um, there are a lot of other nutrients, of course, that are involved in, in treating methylation disorders. Um, that would be a whole nother show, of course. But I hope that that makes sense, what I'm sharing. I want to make sure that people understand why we won't need to be so careful with any type of folate or folic acid. So folic acid has gotten a bad rep because it's a synthetic form of B9, whereas folate's like the more natural version that your body can actually use. Is, isn't, is that correct? Or does it pretty much act the same way when we're talking about under and over methylation? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've heard that a lot and I've seen that too. Um, and, and the truth is that that's, that's a myth. Um, and I think that that it ha- was brought into the fold because people are wanting to sell their more expensive methylated folate products. Um, I, I want to be honest with people. Anytime you take something out of nature and bring it into a lab, it's technically not natural anymore and mm. um, has gone through a lot of processing and synthesizing to get it into pill form. I don't care if it's folate, folinic acid methylfolate or folic acid, um, again, in the end, it all does the same thing and the body is going to be impacted in the same way. Um, I, 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 so I really, I, I want to make that clear. It's, I don't, folic acid is not bad, um, because it's, you know, supposedly synthetic and that somehow methylated folate is better. Um, I wish that this, it would be great if it, if it were that, that easy, right? And this was an open and shut case. Um, but biochemistry isn't this simple. Um, it's actually more complicated. And we know that loading up on, especially again, for if we're talking about someone that is under methylated, um, if we have someone that's loading up on methylfolate, especially if it's given by itself, this is going to result in neurotransmitter changes airing on the side of elevated glutamate and shunted serotonin synthesis. And it's the reason why so many people taking high doses of methylfolate have such a high frequency toward uh, adverse reactions. Um, and, 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 I, and I want that to be really clear because I, again, I know what's been out there is, oh, folic acid is bad. You have to stay away from it. Um, and, and I'll be honest in my clinic, I like folinic acid personally, if I'm working with someone that needs it, um, I really like that form. Um, but to say that folic acid is bad and toxic because it's synthetic, it is not really accurate. When you say people, what are those adverse reactions? If somebody's taking too much methylfolate? Yeah. Um, yeah. Great question. So often um, a lot of very high anxiety. I see a lot of increased OCD. So OCD is very much uh, a byproduct of undermethylation. That was where my eating disorder came into play, um, uh, which, you know, eating disorders are a form of OCD, of course. So we see we see a dramatic uptick in these types of symptoms um, generally in, in, in the area of mental health, but we can also see a breakdown in the body. We can see people that suffer from horrendous joint pain and suddenly have massive amounts of chronic fatigue that seem to come out of the blue. In fact, that's something I hear a lot. Yeah, I started taking methylfolate. 
um, you know, I read this article on Dr. Google and I thought I'd try it because it listed all these symptoms and I can't even move. I can't even function. I'm having trouble sleeping. So, so it's, it's going to impact everyone differently, but generally I see uh, more of an impact uh, with regard to mental health and, and a breakdown in those areas. Mm. Thank you for that. I think a lot of light bulbs <laughs> are going off for people. So talk to me. So. Yeah. Talk to me about copper toxicity. So <laughs> what the heck copper. is that? And why and why is that important? Because honestly, mm-hmm. copper isn't something that really people think about unless they're talking about like pipes, you know, and plumbing. <laughs> so like, where? where are we? Where is this copper? And why is it. copper toxicity um, becoming kind of this more this topic that people are talking about more? Yeah, yeah, I love this one as well, Noel. Um, so copper overload or toxicity, whichever one you want to use, we often use the term overload. I feel that that's a little softer, lands a little bit better with people. Um, it's often hereditary. Uh, so there is more of, you know, often of a, a genetic component there. Um, it's an inability to effectively eliminate excess copper. And I want to be clear for all of the listeners, this is not the same as Wilson's disease. I get a lot of questions. Oh my gosh, I went online. I have Wilson's disease. I'm going <laughs> to die. And no, that's not what's happening. Wilson's disease is a rare genetic disorder where copper accumulates in organs and glands. Um, it gets sequestered there, and that's where it can be uh, extremely detrimental. So that's not what I'm talking about here. Um, but copper is um, its important because it has the ability to profoundly affect every system in the body, especially the reproductive, nervous, and glandular systems. And it has a devastating effect on mental health. Um, if we bring zinc into the equation, copper and zinc, um, you know, I, I, I kind of just mentioning that they need to have this beautiful little marriage, this beautiful little dance that they do. When copper becomes high, zinc, that copper zinc ratio becomes unbalanced. Not everyone with copper overload is also zinc deficient. That's another myth that I want to, uh, you know, put out there. Um, often that is the case, but not always. But what happens is because they're in, not balanced with one another, we, we tend to see a lot of challenges there. So if we look at things like zinc, which is essential to all forms of life, it's a component of more than 300 enzymes in the body. I've already talked a lot about enzymes. Zinc is a cofactor in making methyl groups. So is B6. So are a lot of other nutrients, a lot of other methyl donors, amino acids, et cetera, that are cofactors and allowing or, or especially for someone that's undermethylated for that methylation process to function optimally. So zinc enhances resistance to stress. It maintains intellectual function, memory and mood levels. A lot of um, the elderly are severely deficient in zinc. And that Mm. is one of the reasons why, um, I mean, there are a lot of biochemical factors with Alzheimer's and dementia, but uh, zinc is a, a huge factor there. And again, it enhances gene expression. It enhances gene expression of a master antioxidant that most people haven't even heard of called metallothionine. Um, And that one is essential because of its ability to bind to toxic heavy metals and transport them out of the body. So, so, you know, explaining that when we have, uh, when the body, when we come into this world with an inability to 
uh, metabolize effectively, to detoxify effectively. We're going to be impacted in these areas. Um, copper and zinc work in tandem to control the overgrowth of yeast and parasites and uh, bacteria in the GI tract. Um, and that's another reason why those can be difficult to eliminate in people that have SIBO and, and candida overgrowth. And, you know, I think that uh, treating the gut is important. It's a big part of the work that I do, but we also have to look at chemistry. And that's, that's also the missing piece because you can't keep staying on a restricted diet forever uh, mm -hmm. and cleansing, cleansing, cleansing without rebuilding. So there has to be balance there. And copper is also the, the main metal that, that also um, helps to regulate the other metals like mercury, lead, cadmium, arsenic, those types of things. And when it's elevated, when we see a, what we call a high free percentage of copper, we see a lot of what we call oxidative stress in the body. And that can create a lot of challenges in the brain. You know, fight and flight uh, is connected there. Uh, there's also the connection with, with, with estrogen because estrogen increases copper retention in the body. And a lot of people, not just women, are struggle with, with regulating estrogens in the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could go on and on, Noel, but I hope that that, you know, just, just an initial primer. I mean, there's so many things that, that copper is connected to postpartum depression and psychosis, you know, I mentioned previously that it lowers dopamine and increases norepinephrine in the brain. And all of those are connected to all of the disorders that I work with that, that I've, you know, that I've already kind of gone into. Yeah. How does copper toxicity happen? Like, is it because we're eating too many foods that have copper or is it like an, an mm -hmm. environmental exposure? Like, how does that all of a sudden happen? I know you you mentioned zinc deficiency isn't just the only way that that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's often that hereditary, you know, I have to always go back to that hereditary component. Mm -hmm. All the women, or I should say many of the women in my family on both sides are overloaded in copper. Um, and of course, that's going to be passed down if that's not corrected prior to conception. So there's going to be that component. There's going to be, to your point, I think the popularity of vegan diets. Um, that's one component. Uh, uh, and, and just, yes, our world and uh, the chemical exposures that we are exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, the xenoestrogens that mimic estrogen in the body, the pesticides, the plastics, um, copper pipes, tap and well water is another source. Um, we've done um, work with the Amish and they're all on well water and um, have often seen an explosion there uh, and, 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 and copper overload. So if you're on well water, make sure you get that tested, make sure that your water is, is properly filtered. So, and then, and then of course, I don't want to forget about birth control mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. hormone therapy. Um, whether it's synthetic or bioidentical, I am a fan of bioidentical hormones when they're appropriate, especially in menopause and, and after menopause, but we have to be careful. And I always, in my clinic, if I'm looking at hormones, I, I also want to look at, at copper and zinc levels and some of these other things. And you mentioned vegan diets because is that is a vegan diet more naturally low in zinc? Yes. And it's high in copper. Most of the foods that are going to be the bulk of a vegan diet are going to be high in, in folate and high in copper. In fact, 
I was vegan and then raw vegan for about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. And that was part of my, you know, you initially asked me, well, what was your turning point? That was a big part of my turning point. I, I was a train wreck. I thought I was eating the best diet in the world. I was, you know, everyone was telling me, you got to be vegan. You got to be a hundred percent plant-based if you're going to be healthy. And I thought I was doing the right thing. And it actually made me very, very sick. So I'm not saying that, that vegan diets are bad. I, you know, I think we're all biochemically unique and we all need different nutrients to thrive, but we have to be careful where these diets are concerned because, they can be problematic long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so very similar experience when I was on, you know, eating strict vegetarian, which I did for a lot of my life was when I had the most anxiety and panic attacks and the most mm. mood disorders. So, yes, let's jump into the questions from the community. I have quite a few about testing, which you mentioned mm -hmm. a test earlier, but I want you to mention it again. So Jen, Sarah, both of them asked, where do you start if you suspect that you have some sort of nutrient imbalance? A lot of people want to know, is hair tissue mineral analysis testing the best? Yeah, I, I love this question as well, because um, HTMA is what we call a half analysis. And I'll, I'll explain what that, that means. So I, whenever I'm working with someone new and they come to me and they say, uh, you know, I had this hair analysis done. It showed that my copper was high. I'm really worried. You know, I, I need your help. And I say, wait a minute. It's a great test. It helps us look at certain imbalances. It's great for, for other metals, zinc wasting patterns, other nutrient deficiencies where we can deduce a, a, a correlation between a nutrient deficiency and what's going on like cobalt and vitamin B12, things like that. Um, but again, it's a half analysis. And we also have to look at blood testing before we treat copper toxicity. So we want, I, I call this a copper panel. We want to look at what copper is doing, want to look at zinc is doing. We also want to look at ceruloplasmin, which is a copper binding protein. So we have to look at all of those together before we can make an accurate diagnoses, if you will, and put come up with a treatment protocol. And I also want to make sure that our listeners know that it's very, very rare that copper overload is the only challenge. You had uh, one of the questions, and I don't know if you even want me to talk about this if we have time, it was about pyrrole disorder. And a lot mm -hmm. of people have pyrrole disorder and don't know that they even have it. So in my clinic, I test for all of these things together because it's rare to have just one phenotype present in one person. For example, copper overload, undermethylation, which is my thing, um, you know, a variety of chemistries, but it, it's rare that copper overload is, is the only one imbalance. And I hope that I hope that's helpful with regard to the testing. Yeah. So you said you're, you get lab work, like blood testing done to yes. look at that copper. Is that a, is there a specific test or is it something that you just send a, you know, lab core or whatever, and you can say, look at these three things. I want to look at copper. I want to look at this copper binding protein. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. how that works? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I, I love LabCorp and they're, they're who I use for, for my, um, uh, you know, serum labs and so forth. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
that's what I would want to look at. I'd want to look at serum copper, plasma zinc, ceruloplasmin. Um, and, and from those, we can figure out what the percentage of free copper is and, and we can come up with a treatment protocol that is going to be in line with that person's chemistry. Um, there's a lot of, you know, again, I just have to say this, Noel, there's a lot of misinformation about, um, you know, that, that blood testing for copper isn't accurate and, um, you know, to treat copper, you have to, you know, include a lot of high copper foods in the diet and, and, you know, zinc is bad for you. It's going to deplete copper. And these are, again, this is misinformation without understanding chemistry, understanding and working with someone that knows how to test you properly. So I just want to make sure that that's also, um, you know, that I say that. Thank you. Um, Okay, so this is from Clarice, and she says, I always feel confused about how to get zinc and copper best and not create an imbalance. And we also have a couple of questions. I mean, this is just going to be the copper episode, but (laughs) we we have a question regarding from Jody about zinc. You know, we a lot of us take zinc or supplement with zinc to Mm -hmm. support our immune system when we are sick. So how in the world do we make sure that we're not creating an imbalance just in general? Like, what are some good tips for that? And how do we not create an imbalance when we want to take our zinc when we're sick? Yeah, that's a, that's another. Yeah, these are all really great questions. Um, <laughs> um, so, so okay, so for Clarice and her, her question about the confusion about uh, you, you know, how, how to best get these sources to not create an imbalance. So, so first off, ladies, please get tested first before you start supplementing. That's really, really important because you can overdo zinc and you can create a lot of challenges uh, by overdoing zinc. And, and in fact, I see that all the time. Um, so get tested first. And, and how do you not create an imbalance? Well, with labs and with understanding your full chemistry, um, for example, if there's also a methylation issue, that's going to tell us what kind of zinc. So there's different, different forms of zinc. They're absorbed differently. They do different things in the body. So we, we use labs to determine the form and the dose and the duration. That's how granular and technical we get. Um, and then we retest to see where you're at and we go from there. Um, that is the best way to, to manage this appropriately so that you are happy <laughs> and healthy and that we don't create an imbalance. So I, I hope that's helpful. Yeah. And is zinc um, a, a, just a blood test? Yeah. Plasma zinc. Some people do um, RBC, um, um, uh, you know, plasma is very effective, very, very effective and it's cheap. Got it. Okay, another popular topic because a lot of women in this community um, don't want to take hormonal birth control, and so Yay. this is yeah, this is from Annika and Katie. How <laughs> I have the copper IUD, the non-hormonal birth control. What should I be looking out for to know if I'm experiencing a copper toxicity? So, does the copper IUD create copper toxicity? Oh, yes. Thank you, Annika and Katie, for for bringing this to the forefront. I have had more comments and more women reach out to me about side effects from the copper IUD than I think anything else. Um, It's one of my most viewed blog posts. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, and I know you're not going to like to hear this, but in order to, if you're having symptoms, 
I would encourage you to have it removed because we always have to go to the source of the inflammation. Um, and um, once we remove the source, then we can get you properly tested um, and then we can come up with a really good healing protocol for you. I would say if you are having symptoms and you have the copper IUD, well, first off, get tested, but also you might want to consider a lower copper diet, at least initially. That doesn't need to happen long term, um, but you might want to consider um, going a little bit lower and on, you know, like the nuts and seeds and the chocolate, which is super high um, uh, to help with that. But, but that's, it's really a greater conversation than this, but, um, but it's, I just see too many complications from the copper IUD because just like hormonal birth control, it's going to increase copper. Hmm. It's I'm not, sorry to tell you that. I know it's really annoying. <laughs> it, it Sammy, is this is annoying. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah. And I know, you know, as women, we're the ones that are tasked <laughs> with the uh, birth control. Um, you know, we're in charge of that often. Um, you know, there are other methods that you can look into. I know that this is obviously easier and, um, mm -hmm. you know, less, less to think about, but it's not worth it if it's putting your health in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you have to make the right decision for you. I did have it for a little bit and ended up getting it out just because of the side effects were just too much for me yeah. personally. So, I mean, and I've been on regular birth control and after two weeks I was like, can't do this. So I was like, you know, a decade mm. ago because it could just immediately, it was just horrible. So mm. I feel you yeah. and, and I do, um, we did, uh, d you know, tracking cycles. And mm -hmm. if you know yes. when you're ovulating, it's very easy to just know Indeed. that here's my window that I'm not doing anything, you know, where, where we could create, create children. We're not going to do this right now. So mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah. not as I'm easy, but, that. but you feel better um, mm -hmm. for sure. So uh, this is from Danica. She says, has zinc deficiencies ever been linked to sleep issues or sleep apnea? Oh, absolutely. You know, zinc. Um, oh, wow. I, I, gosh, I could go on and on about zinc. Um, <laughs> sorry. This is so, the place. <laughs> yeah, this is the place for me to kind of go off yeah. here. So zinc deficiency is the most frequently observed chemical imbalance in mental health and cognitive functioning. Hmm. Um, that's, that's saying a lot. Zinc is necessary to produce neurotransmitters and hormones. Serotonin is really critical for sleep, healthy sleep cycles. Um, we want to make sure I've talked about norepinephrine, GABA are calming neurotransmitter. Zinc is needed to create GABA. Um, so absolutely. In fact, often when I add zinc in, when a, when a lady is deficient, uh, I'll get an email <laughs> in the first week and she'll go, oh my God. I can't believe how great I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping mm -hmm. like a baby. I haven't slept this great in a long time. So um, yes, there's a huge connection. Now, apnea, uh, apnea can be structural, as I'm sure you know. Apnea can be connected to other things, but biochemistry and gut health play a huge role there. Um, I also want to say, before I forget if it's okay, Noelle, I don't think this mm -hmm. is part of the questions, but zinc deficiency in parents before conception can cause miscarriage. Mm. And a lot of ladies don't know that. So, and it can also cause fetal growth restrictions, learning disabilities. I mentioned the mental health piece. Um, uh, and um, this is because it takes more zinc to create a male than, than a female. Um, um, a lot of people don't know that. Or rather, I should have prefaced that statement with, 
it can even influence gender and the highest concentrations are in the prostate gland and, and in the brain. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's often why a lot of women miscarry boys continuously and, and they're often zinc deficient. So, so zinc is, it's, I'm seeing it getting a bad rap in certain circles, especially in the hair mineral analysis, um, you know, uh, circles. Um, but, but zinc is, uh, it's what I call a master mineral because it's so important for so many, uh, things. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I do, in nutritional therapy school, I remember learning about the connection to zinc and even just low sperm count and how that greatly impacts sperm quality. And so that was definitely something that I was thinking about before we conceived. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said that. So we're we're coming up here on time, but I want to ask just two more questions. This is from Brenna. Mm -hmm. She says, is testing for pyrrole disorder necessary? And I know we didn't get to touch on that specifically, Mm -hmm. but it, it sounds like it's something that you're seeing in your practice. So what is it and is te- how do you test for it? Because Brenna says that she hears the testing is not reliable. So if you're using a lab, um, most labs aren't reliable. So thank you, Brenna, for bringing that up because that, that, is, that is true, um, uh, that you're going to get inaccuracy because it is a sensitive test. We need to make sure that we're doing a second collection of the day when you're kind of stressed out is helpful. And also um, exposure to light sunlight, uh, not bathroom light, um, is, is going to, uh, really make the test ineffective. So, so just briefly, pyroluria or pyrol disorder or pyroluria is a mood and stress disorder and it can be acquired. It's often, it's, it can be acquired. I'll get into that, but it's often genetically inherited. (laughs) And I know Mm. I've said that a lot with a lot of what I'm working with, but or, or, or what we're speaking to, but it is often genetically inherited. And I almost always see it when there's a long line of family alcoholism and depression and anxiety, you know, a lot of anger and rage. Uh, Northern European people groups are most affected by pyrrole disorder. So this includes the Welsh, the Irish, uh, English, Scandinavian kind of Nordic peoples with lighter features. So we're talking blonde hair, fair skin, red hair, blue or green eyes. Um, in fact, I, I believe that Irish drinking and fiery redhead jokes kind of have their roots in pyroluria. Um, that's just, that's just kind of, you know, um, just a little aside there, but, but the acquired form of pyrrole disorder, um, if, if I can kind of speak into that a bit, that's going to occur during times of acute stress, illness, injury. That's normal. We all have an excrete pyrroles in our urine. Um, but because of these traumas that we go through in life, the body's going to rapidly deplete um, important, these important nutrients that are connected to pyroluria, and that's zinc and vitamin B6. So what pyroles do is they latch onto these nutrients and they rapidly pull them out of the body via uh, the urine. Um, so in pyroluria, you're going to see someone that cannot tolerate even small amounts of stress. Um, often they have little dream or no dream recall. Um, a lot of my clients that are pyroluric are night owls. And, um, Mm. you know, you can tell zinc deficiency because of, um, white spots on the nails, um, uh, stretch marks are also common. Um, and, and we often see stretch marks all in odd places all over the body in our pyroloric children. So like on the back, on the thighs, on the stomach, even on the, on the legs, um, pale skin and inability to tan, morning nausea, 
is also co uh, connected to pyroluria. So all of those are connected. Um, it's a relatively, out of all the chemistries that I work with, because, you know, methylation can be complicated, but of all the chemistries and the phenotypes that I work with, it's the most easy to treat. We just have to know what someone's levels are, again, so we know how uh, to, how to dose them. Um, and that's where a full medical history is like, you know, age, weight, all of those things. Um, and, and then, um, uh, often people start to feel better fairly quickly. That's good news. <laughs> I like yes. good news. Um, <laughs> the last question is from Jody. She says, what natural foods or supplements can help with anxiety, depression, and ADHD? and what should be avoided. So we haven't really even talked a lot about food, oddly enough, but but maybe we you could mention a few that are helpful for anxiety, depression, and mood disorders. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is our, our lovely grass-fed, grass-finished beef. It's going to be high in bioavailable zinc. It's going to help balance your blood sugar. It's going to be high in myriad nutrients, that's the first thing that I think of. If you are undermethylated like I am, you're going to need a higher protein diet. Um, if you struggle with depression, um, anxiety, ADHD, often uh, adding protein, uh, uh, a lot of women or a lot of people in general, I should say, are not eating enough protein, I, I find. Mm. Um, so, so those things um, I talked about or, or I touched on briefly, industrialized uh, seed oils, um, those can also be problematic, uh, be very problematic for the brain. So, um, you know, your, your extra virgin olive oil, um, I, I like coconut oil, depending, depends on the individual, depending on how much I recommend for them. Um, but, but all of those oils are, or both of those oils, I should say, are going to be great for people that can tolerate ghee. Um, I think that ghee can be a nice addition. Um, mm -hmm. and then, and then of course we have our wonderful plant foods that, that can also be, um, helpful, but I have to say, um, uh, where I'm going with, with our beautiful plant foods is the, the microbiome, the gut microbiome, because we want to make sure that we're, um, you know, feeding those good guys that like acromancia and some of our others uh, to produce short chain fatty acids. Um, and, um, you know, that's also going to help with that bi-directional gut brain connection that I mentioned previously. And also, um, that can be very helpful with depression and anxiety. So, so that's a lot there and it's hard for me to give specifics unless I know someone's chemistry, but, but all in all, I would say, um, proteins are, are fantastic and, and, um, you know, making sure you're getting good oils, good fats and, and a, a variety of plant foods. You mentioned oils. Do see nuts and seeds or they, do they tend to cause, do you find that they cause more issues than not for people just because they are higher in, uh, like copper, for example? They can be very problematic if someone is very high in copper. So I will often remove them. They're often also hard to digest. They need mm -hmm. to be soaked or sprouted. Most people aren't going to do that. They're often rancid. Um, you know, there are a lot of problems with nuts and seeds in terms of our ability to break them down. But yes, um, I, I would say that that's not going to be my go-to even though I know they're, they're kind of touted as, 
um, I see a lot of articles going around, you know, have your almonds, your walnuts, you know, they look like little brains. They're great for your brain. They've got X, Y, Z, you know, nutrients. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's untrue, but again, this is where we have to understand what someone's chemistry is. So that's Mm -hmm. why I tend to go to things that are easier to digest, that are more bioavailable in their nutrient stores, um, and staying away from things like grains and nuts and seeds and so forth that are a little bit more difficult in that area. Got it. So I think everybody listening is like, I know somebody that potentially has copper toxicity or is an under <laughs> over methylator, or maybe you're talking right to them and they're like, I, this is, you're talking to me. I know this is me. Where do people go from here? Like, how can people find you? Can can you can they work with you? What do you recommend as next steps? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I appreciate the question, Noel. I, I I am actively taking new clients. I I would say, and and I do offer a free discovery call. You can go on my website, eat for dot life, not dot com dot life, mm-hmm. and you can schedule a free discovery call with me to see how I can support you. But but my my very best guidance, and I tell everyone this, whether you choose to work with me or not, please work with someone that understands these specific chemistries. Please work with someone that has training in these areas so they know how to help you effectively. They know how to titrate appropriately. Um, They understand different types of dietary needs. They understand the microbiome. Again, I know we've covered a lot here. We could, I know we could, we could talk forever, Noel, but, but, but I, I think that you know, we always say test, don't guess, you know, please don't go out and start taking a bunch of zinc. You could really create uh, a lot of problems that way. And I think to get a baseline, it's just so important to do that testing process and just work with someone that, that really understands. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's so important with any supplement. You know, it's so popular to just be taking all these tons of different nutrients, you know, that's where people think, well, I'm taking all these vitamins, so it doesn't matter if I'm not eating X, Y, or Z thing. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, our body is chemistry is complicated. And it's Mm. just there's no, you you know, you can't take uh, as much as I would love it. It's easy to say, well, I'm just going to go start taking zinc after this podcast. But like you said, you could create more issues than that. So yeah, please don't. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, Noel. I I just, it's really better to not take anything at all than to take a multivitamin or a multi, like a B complex or or multi-minerals supplement. Um, without understanding, you know, again, your your biochemical needs. So I appreciate that. Yeah. All right, Sammy, thank you so much for your knowledge and for answering everybody's questions here. I would love to have you on again. And I, um, you do have a podcast. It's called Eat for Life Podcast where people can hear more about you. Um, but I really appreciate you being here. My pleasure, Noel. Thank you so much for having me. I would be honored to come back and, and talk about more topics as you... As you could probably tell, I, I, I enjoy sharing what I know. Yes. I, I, it's hard for me to run out of things to talk about. So, <laughs> it's so. a dream come true for me. So. <laughs> so thank you so much for the opportunity, my dear. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. For more from Sammy, again, her website is eat4.life. There you'll find her Instagram. Her podcast is Eat for Life Podcast. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandcatabells.com. Thanks so much for being here. We will talk to you next week.